If you're an average player, you want to be left alone, right? Because you want to be able to slide by. If you're a good player, you want to be coached. If you're a great player, you want the coach to tell you the truth every day. Did I hustle on that play? Did I make the right read? Did I play the guy with the right leverage? You want to know every play. Because you know why? They want to be perfect. Everybody here makes a choice to do one of those three things. Welcome to the GOAT Consulting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to people striving to be a GOAT, the greatest of all time, serving it up in a way that you can get it in all stages of life. Hey, I'm Colby Jubinville, and welcome to another episode of the GOAT Consulting Podcast right here in studio in VC Productions in Nashville, Tennessee. we got a great show for you today. It's part two with Faith Dickey. She is the professional highlighter, founder of Elevate Outdoors. you got to check out elevateoutdoorsguiding.com where teaching and instruction has now become your passion. And we're excited to continue that conversation with you today. We had a great yes. conversation uh, in part one of this show. John, you always found, find the uh, most incredible guest. She's had a short film done about her. She had a car wreck that led to an awakening. Um, she's talked about humanness, and that is such a critical piece to being a GOAT. And so we're going to continue our conversation today. And I'm going to, yeah. as Spencer would say, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you take that and keep moving the ball down the field. And there's not much more human than eating at an all-you-can-eat buffet, which Faith has recently <laughs> done for the first time in her that, that's, that's very few 34 years. I mean, so. I was going to Godfather's Pizza buffets at probably age six or seven. I mean, those are that's can, a staple all the conversations South Alabama. In, all the conversations in your life are different after you've eaten at all all-you-can-eat buffet. So, Olive Garden, I mean, the list goes on and on. Faith, it's so good I to mean, have you. Is there anything more American than an all-you-can-eat buffet? That's the question. <laughs> Rolling chairs, carpet. I mean, the list goes on and on. Yes. We, uh, we're going to continue to unpack some super cool things that have uh, that I've learned from you, that I've read, I've heard you share about. Uh, by the way, one of the first, not one of the first, I've known of you for some time, but one of the things that prompted me to reach out to you more recently was um, watching the first episode of Limitless and Chris Hemsworth is narrating your story, which I haven't had that experience yet with Chris. He keeps telling me he's going to narrate my story and it's, you know, at some point, but it just hasn't happened. But for you, what was that like? And by the way, Limitless, it's, I think it's a six-part series on National Geographic, Disney+. Plus. It's an incredible series. And Chris Hemsworth is like a giant fan of yours and showcases you on the show to help him with that particular episode. What was that like? Well, this is going to sound a little bit flippant, but I actually had no idea who was going to narrate my part of the story. Something that a goat would say. <laughs> it does sound a touch yeah. flippant, yes. <laughs> but I, mean, I, but I like it. <laughs> the, that, the idea for that episode changed a lot over time because initially they reached out to me before the pandemic and so the oh, original wow. concept was that I was going to actually go to Australia and teach Chris Hemsworth how to highline which I was super excited about well yeah um and then the pandemic happened and things got delayed and then the the production company was based in the UK and they couldn't travel to the states so I ended up um mm. getting them to hire a friend of mine as the director and we ended up doing a really small crew and filming everything on location in Moab Utah and so it really just kind of felt like I was out doing my thing it didn't really feel like I was filming for this massive scale production because I was I knew everyone on set they were all friends of mine. My partner was a rigger with me. And wow. 
So I was literally just, I mean, it was hard work. I was, you know, yeah. we filmed for six days, um, but I was just doing what I knew how to do. So, so the, high, the highlining in there, obviously the interviews in there were, were from this crew, but the highlining was also done just for the, just for limitless. Yep. Wow. That's yeah. Cool. The whole, the whole thing, the climbing, the highlining. Um, yeah. We just, we got it all done. It was, it's really cool because you know, when you hire a group of people who are all climbers and outdoors people who also know how to use sound equipment and cameras, you need a third of as many crew members. You know, there was no makeup on site. There was no craft tent. Like what? we just did it all ourselves. I know the craft tent was a missing element. No craft tent. Get VC Productions down there. There'll be a damn craft tent. I can assure you that. And makeup. I don't know. I mean, but look also, at me everyone, for God's sake. Everyone just knew their way around ropes. So it was like, it was easy. Wow. And yeah, so I we just, upset about the it, was, it was hard work, but we got it done. And then, you know, I just, I kind of just knew it was going to turn out good because my friend had directed it. Um, but I had no idea how it was going to be worked into the story. Yeah. Like I didn't have a lot of backstory information on the whole series. Yeah. And so like, then when Chris Hemsworth was too busy, um, AKA too scared for me to go. Take That's right. Highlight. Thank you for saying that. I, I was going to, I think you change the whole title to under the craft Chris, tent with Chris Hemsworth. I mean, this challenge. is absolutely crazy. He, he does listen. It goes, he, boy, he better it listen goes. to her. He does <laughs> listen to this podcast. And he's going to, he's going to feel, he's going to feel Chris, shame. shame on you. Get under the craft tent. This is crazy. And, and well, I'm hoping for a sequel. So <laughs> we'll be there. We're going to, we're going to push for that. One of the things you, you just brought it up, but one of the things you talk about often, you did it there. And that particular episode was, was about, um, getting more comfortable with stress. And that's yeah. one of the things I talked about you and within that and other places, you talk about fear so clearly. And one of the things I've heard you say is in the moment that you're engaging with fear or of death, it becomes really clear what's important in life. And you go on to talk about how fear is flexible and you talk about primal fear versus manufactured fear, all these different areas that you've shared. I would love to hear you unpack some of that. And and I'm going to share just a very quick story that I've shared on here before, but I think about it every time I think of you. Uh, and, and when you talk about fear is there's this moment in the movie um, Frozen, and the, my daughter, who's five, and I have watched it 3,000 times, and she was three uh, at the time. When we're watching, there's a scene where two of the characters, like, jump over this ravine, and the carriage, like, barely makes it, and I'm she's sitting on my lap two years ago at three, and I said, gee, would you want to do that? And she said, yeah. And I said, would you be scared? And she said, yes, <laughs> and brave. And she's three, yeah. And I'm 40 at the time. You, well, today you couldn't and have that answer. And I'm like, it's taken me 40 years to realize that those two things aren't mutually exclusive. Like, in fact, you don't have bravery or courage without fear. I would probably put it that way, despite those no fear shirts that I always wore growing up um, <laughs> that were so terribly ugly. And what I was would so, Brene Brown say about that whole line of clothing? I was so proud of them, by the way. You're too young probably to remember the no fear shirts. No, but no, I rem they were still, they were still around. Kind of a thing? Yeah. Talk to us about fear, please, and how you engage with it, how you live with it. What's well, that? first of all, you should definitely interview your daughter on your podcast. She sounds oh, like she has a ton of great quotes. She's awesome. Um, yeah. Maybe you should just do a whole kids series. But um, fear. Idea. So Ooh, Goats are everywhere. 
I would love to ask your daughter what her goat is and see what her answer <laughs> yeah. would be. Oh, we know the answer. That's a <laughs> episode episode three with Faith Dickey. It's Colby, for God's sakes. <laughs> anyway, um, okay, so fear. You know, I think every person has an idea what fear is, right? We all kind of, you know, we're, we're riding a bike, we almost crash as a kid, and we get scared, okay? Um, there's a sound of the night, you get scared. But you don't really examine what fear is until you're much older. Mm. And highlining introduced me to a type of fear I had never encountered before, and that was primal fear, mm. this kind of hardwired fear that all humans have. You know, humans haven't been around on this planet for very long, and so we're still kind of navigating a world based on this hardwiring we have to run from bears. It's, you know, it doesn't always well, that is line interesting. up. I have never thought of that. Really? But it's true. It is true. Yeah. I mean, we're designed to, to survive. It's right? hardwired and in our so, DNA. Yeah. Yep. And so I think a lot of times our brains respond to situations as if we're in a fight or flight moment, even huh. though we don't need to respond that way. Hmm. But that's just the automatic right. go-to yeah. for our mind. And so getting on a high line, you know, you're on this one inch wide wobbly line stretched across a gap, hundreds to thousands of feet in the air. If anything is going to trigger that part of your fight or flight response, it's yes. that activity. So all of a sudden, you know, it's like, I want to do this activity. I've created this challenge. I want to be there, but my brain is telling me to get the hell away from it. Can I, can I pause? Just yeah. don't forget what you're going to say. But as you're describing that, it takes me back to this moment in the short film that was released very early in the film where you are on the line. And it's so beautifully done, but you're on the line and, and your voice starts playing in the background. All those things that you're just talking about, like it's cold, I'm, you're, you're shaky, you didn't train enough. All yep. those voices that go on in our head, fall. like yep. that feed that fear. Right. Yep. Like that's what you're describing. Exactly. And that primal fear is really powerful, but it is possible to overcome it. And one method is, of course, desensitization. Every time you challenge yourself and push your limits, you get more used to that space. And eventually your brain learns like, OK, I'm not going to die when I do this. Mm -hmm. And that totally happened to me with highlining. I highlined enough that every time I went out there, I felt less and less afraid of death. Because, you know, I was wearing a harness and a leash. I was attached to the line. I was totally safe. But my brain doesn't recognize that. My mm. brain is just like, oh, my God, you're standing in the void. Like, this is where yeah. you fall and die. <laughs> yes. That's and so what that the rest of us are thinking. Yeah, totally. And, yeah. and But you don't think just... that now. No, I don't. No, it's actually, I would say very difficult for my brain to go to that space on a high line. I can still feel that way approaching a cliff. So what I heard so, you say is that you don't have a flight or fight response to that stress that is in that moment. Yes, that okay, is correct. Okay, so this is your book right here, okay? <laughs> so if you don't have a fight or flight response, then what is the you've trained your brain yes to handle that stress. Yes. I would say that's correct. That's but. what that's what that's why she was highlighted on this limitless show and it's a fascinating piece and I want you to maybe I want you to keep going but weave in here because you talk about risk a lot and I feel like it's yes. a very close conversation here whether we're talking about fear risk they could be the same thing but 
maybe weave that in because you say some really cool stuff about risk. In fact, I think one of the first times I reached out to you, I had I had created a quote from you on a on a quote board or whatever you would call that, right? But it was your words uh, where you say, "To avoid all risk, we never learn what we're capable of." Mm-hmm. And, and you I could still... really say to avoid. You could put fears in there just as easily, but we yeah. risk into the conversation too. Well, so the the thing with risk and highlighting, for example, is that even if you do it all correctly and you're totally safe because you're harnessed in and you have a tether, so you're not going to die, the consequence is still very high if something does go wrong. So I would still say it's a much riskier activity than, say, just taking a stroll through your neighborhood, you know, like that you are very high off the ground. And so it's it it is pretty safe if you do it correctly. But there is risk involved. And I think the other interesting point is that our mind is going to perceive risk the same way, even if it's a real risk or not. If our brain acknowledges a risk, Mm. then we're going to respond to that feeling, right? So I think walking up to a cliff is a good example. You can walk very easily. Okay. You're walking on solid ground. There's no problem, right? You don't feel scared. You don't feel like anything's going to go wrong. You do that exact same thing, 10 feet, towards a cliff edge and you feel suddenly like, Oh my mm. God, I might trip and just yeah. roll off this edge and die. Suddenly you lose confidence and you're just your body's function and mobility. It's a, such a weird response that doing the exact same activity on solid ground, not high off the ground is easy, but you just replace the same thing near a cliff edge and you respond totally differently. Is it the repetition that, that starts to make that go away? I think so. I think repetition and also really being curious about it because Mm. there are people who progress very slowly at the sport of highlighting and perhaps for them, the intensity is so strong that it just takes much longer to desensitize their mind. Um, I noticed that as I was high, I was highlighting a ton those first few years I got into the sport. And so eventually I was able to kind of approach a highline and just see it as a physical challenge. Like I wasn't scared at all, but that brings me to another type of fear I want to talk about because there's this primal fear that, you know, we're all hardwired with, or most of us. Um, But there's these other fears that become present almost when that primal fear kind of fades away. And those are the what if fears. That's what I like to call them. You know, would you call those the manufactured fears? Yeah. They're kind of, they're manufactured. They're, they're, invented they're they're very ego centered i would say that like hardwired fear is is more of a instinct whereas these other types of fear that kind of circulate in our minds every day those are coming from the ego and those fears may sound like i'm not good enough i'm too tired i haven't trained enough for this i'm gonna fall i'm really shaky everyone's looking at me they know Mm. i suck i'm an imposter You know, there's so many voices that can arise. And I feel like by overcoming my primal fears, I was able to see those other kind of ego-based thoughts and fears more clearly. clearly. Like they became the louder voices. Hey, this is really, really powerful. Uh, I wrote down repetition and curiosity desensitizes fear. And yeah. you're, you didn't say repetition. I think you'd probably double down on curiosity, which I'm all in on. And that's but f- repetition too. You can't just do something once 
and be curious about it and have it like yeah. totally evaporate, right? <laughs> I remember hearing a, an interview with Alex Honold uh, post El Cap free soloing that what what he's the goat for I think and um, wait outside of Lynn Hill because she did it first she set a path for him we'll put, we'll put it that way but I remember somebody asking him about how do you think about these people that that um, ice climb. And he said, oh, it's too risky. <laughs> and the whole crowd, like, laughs. They're like, what? <laughs> and he goes, no, no, like, like, you know, first of all, things can happen there that can't happen here. And I have done this so many times that it's not risky for me anymore. I remember asking you about something, some version of this in a prior conversation. And you said something very similar to him when he was asked about ice skating. You were like, well, I always thought if I'm on a high line and I trip and fall, I can always grab the rope. That just makes my, you know, causes me to have an allergic reaction. <laughs> but I think it's the same one he, you know, kind of how he would describe ice climbing, right? Like just because you don't have experience there and yet it changes your relationship with fear. Absolutely. And I would say to... To be in control of something is the first step of being less afraid of it. You know, like when you feel out of control, you're much more likely to be scared. And so a person like Alex Honnold, or in my case, highlining all the time, I felt very in control. So I was able to just not be afraid of that piece of the puzzle. Like there was no reason to be scared if I was in control. Wow. But at the same time, there's a huge element of accepting risk. When I walked High Lines Free Solo with no safety harness, I knew I was taking a risk, even though I felt totally capable and confident in my skills to get across that line safely. I had to accept that if something went wrong, I might die. So, and I, th I don't think you can do the thing without accepting the risk. So, how I think I might have questions, curiosity around the control versus what you just said, because there's almost like this acceptance of no control at all. Maybe that's the ultimate form of control, right? Realizing and becoming aware, I really don't have control at all. And and I'm going to perform my okay. way through this. And I'm okay with that. It, 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 I, what do you think see, about that? I disagree. Because yeah. I think... I don't know, you know what I believe, so please help me. Like, tell me what you disagree with. I don't well, even know. How can you disagree I mean, I, with that when you when you say yourself... I, I am totally relying on my own capabilities that I know will move me to where I want to move despite the environment, despite the challenges that are in front of me. Well, I, but I would say that's the part I have control over. Uh huh. I don't have control over a hawk flying into my face while I'm out there. Mm. But I do have control over my experience, my skills, my knowledge. Yeah. So I don't think I don't think it's wise to just go take a risk where death is a possible outcome without those. Yeah, skills. yeah. You know, like <laughs> well, it seems like you do every day. Like, oh, life's out of control. <laughs> yeah. Go for it. You know, it's more like you know, do what it takes to be as controlled as you can be. And I obviously you can't control everything. Yeah. One of those skills that you have that I want to talk about before we move on to this, the, our think and do not say segment, one of those skills that you have is you call it micro adjustments. And you talk about, I mean, as I watch your videos and have, like, you can see it. You can see it in your fingertips. You can see it in your wrists and your arms. 
Like you're, it seems like now that I'm aware of it, after you said it, you're constantly making these micro adjustments to be able to perform at your very best. Is that true? And maybe talk a little bit about those, please. Yeah, from a physical standpoint, um, you know, walking on a high line, even though it is such a mental activity, there is a technique that's super important. And highliners use their arms for balance. We don't use a pole. Um, but sometimes regaining equilibrium can be as simple as a flick of the wrist or just moving a single finger. Mm. It's so wild how you can like fine tune your equilibrium on a slack line. Um, I think in the beginning, it's normal to shake a lot more. And some people always shake, like they just are shaky walkers and that's their style and it doesn't yeah. matter. They're still able to succeed. Um, for whatever reason, I've always aimed to walk as smoothly as possible. Even in and high so, heels. Even in high heels. Yeah. And so micro adjustments for me are like, how can I minimize the struggle of this physical activity down to just a flick of my wrist or a slight shift of my arms. I don't want to exert a ton of energy flailing around. I want it to be just a tiny minute movement that brings me back to equilibrium. And I just, you, we don't know the answer to this, right? Like how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie pot? But how many of those micro adjustments was the actual reason at certain times that you didn't fall? Or maybe I should say that you stayed alive. Right. Like I have no idea because you'd have to also you don't know. Equate, you'd also have to like add into the equation all the micro adjustments in my mind that are happening. Yeah. Right. Because sometimes you just get distracted in your mind and you start to lose balance. It, it it's re- like your body just responds immediately yeah. to thinking about something else. It reminds me of um, I don't know if you know this story. Dave Brailsford, who was the British cycling coach, who when he took over the team had never won or maybe had been so long since they had won a tour de France. And he talks about the aggregation of marginal gains. That's what it reminds me of. And and it's like, it's how we, and he changed everything about the cycling team so that they would actually win the tour and all the way down from the pillows they slept on the color of the inside of the van, their socks, all these micro adjustments that made, a significant difference and they end up winning the tour in two years versus five and he would credit it back all these one percent gains that we made along the way and that's kind of what I hear as you as you talk about that so um, and, and I just I just want to add that please the really cool thing about slacklining and highlining is that it is such an individualistic sport you know so many people experience it in their own way i think that's part of what drew me to it was like i could have that space for myself even though i got to work with a team to set up the line and go do the project once i was out there standing on the line it was really about me and my experience <clears throat> and it felt so good to have that kind of space to just mm. own it and and let it completely be about me and you didn't have your phone out taking a video you didn't do anything. It was just what you described. Yeah. And and for some people, they might have a completely different experience on a high line than I do. Mm. For them, they might not care about micro adjustments or walking as smoothly as possible. Yeah. For them, it might just be about getting across however they can. I, I think it's really cool how this sport lends itself to, yeah, kind of like having your own story mm. out there. Gosh, that's really good. One of the one of the ways that we honor our guests is we like to have this conversation, which we call the, the things you think and do not say. 
which really comes from the movie Jerry Maguire, one of the greatest movies of all time. He writes this mission statement at the beginning of the movie. It's not a memo. It's a mission statement, and it's the things we think and do not say. The future of our business. And I want to throw out a quote that you said also in this short film that just came out, and it might be one of the most profound things I've ever heard. And so I didn't tell you I wanted to talk about this because I want to get this raw feedback from you. But you said, in a world where everyone seems intent on finding themselves, I'm on a journey of undoing myself. And that <clears throat> that gripped me. Like, that's the word that I keep thinking. Like, not even marked me, but like gripped me. Like, it's still, I'm holding on to that. Excuse me. I would love for you to talk more about what that means to you, why you said it, and how you're living that question of undoing. I'm actually really glad you brought that up because it is something that's really important to me. And what I meant by that is that sometimes we can chain ourselves to a certain set of ideals or a way of life. Um, so much of it can be our own doing or just society's doing you know we're so conditioned mm. to see and think and believe things um and i think undoing ourselves can be much more productive than finding ourselves right the idea of finding yourself is that there's some you that's permanent and finished awaiting you to discover yourself there somewhere right yeah it's kind of a ridiculous idea yeah. that but, you're but ever going to be a finished product that's and that you're ever going to find it that's the yeah, craze totally. of the world, and and you totally view it in a with a unique perspective, which is something we talk about all the time, and you flip it on its head, and I absolutely love it because the world is saying, you know, go find yourselves, and yet there's so much more undoing that I think has to be done before we can even go there, and we're missing Agreed. the most important part, I think, which is what you bring up. And a lot of undoing myself has to do with undoing, you know, intergenerational trauma and undoing beliefs I have about myself yeah. that were formed at a very early stage in my life. And that film that just came out, um, you know, the it was made at this time when I was really at a type of rock bottom. So I had been a professional athlete for, you know, eight or nine years, but I'd had I destroyed my body in the process. My knees were wrecked. Um, I was, you know, no longer held every world record and unbeknownst to me, I'd been kind of fusing my identity with my achievements along the way. And it was something I didn't expect to happen to myself. I just didn't think I was vulnerable to that. Mm. Um, however, all of a sudden I was faced with, oh, if I'm not the best and I'm not as good as I used to be, I'm worthless. Who mm. am I? Like, no one's going to want to spend time with me if I'm not the best. It, it sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth. But yeah. at that time, that is really what I was feeling. And I think we're so prone to fusing our identities and our worth with our external achievements, mm. which is such a precarious world to live in because yeah. we are human. Things break. People die. Things fall apart. And a lot of it is out of our control. And if all of your self-worth is based on things you can do outside of yourself, you're in a really vulnerable position. Mm. And so since that movie was made. And you're talking about intrinsic was, value. Yes, what you're intrinsic value, yeah. exactly. And and since that film was made and what I really meant by undoing myself was I'm trying to undo all of these attachments so I can 
really recognize my value just by being a human on this planet, because I truly believe we all are valuable just for being here with nothing else. And that doesn't mean you don't strive to be your best. And it doesn't mean you don't have Mm. goals, but if you can carry around that intact sense of worth, you're going to be much stronger and better equipped for life's challenges. I think that could be the whole episode, just that part right there. Absolutely. Thanks for coming to my TED talk. Yes. (laughs) It's so good. You have like 17 TED talks here. My gosh. Okay. The, the final layer of the faith Dickie onion that we're going to unpeel here is, um, we want to hear your top five songs and maybe not, you don't, you know, I I don't want to like put you in a box with that. Right. So if it's your Spotify top five on repeat, like, what do you play? What does faith Dickie listen to? Like if there was only five songs, what would that be? I, I like that there's a little more freedom in this. Last time it was like the top Spotify songs and you hadn't heard of a single one. <laughs> okay. We've been Dang working it. on John since then. Yeah. You've, you've you've really, really, a little more flexibility with his questions. You've helped me evolve. Yes. <laughs> so fear, thank you for that. My fear is more flexible than ever. Please send the bill. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to look at this list and pick some that I would say. Yes. Um, Here's one that everyone will know. Yeah. That I just, I always return to. You know, I listen to it for a while, then I forget about it for a while, and then I always come back to it because it's just such a damn good song. Oh, and yeah. it's Jolene by Dolly Parton. Oh, it's so mm. good. I thought you were going to say Tito Fuentes. <laughs> but Jolene it is. Jolene. You know she lives one mile from me. Really? Yep. I approach is very nice. She's so good. She's so great. Next time you're here, we'll go by and we'll, hang, we'll have some uh, yeah, tea. Yeah, I've got to get her tea. on the high line. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes. Jolene, well said. Kick off March, Dolly Parton, Moab, Utah. She sits one next night in, only. in my playlist. <laughs> one her, night only. Dolly and Tupac are next to each other. I'm sure she would That's, absolutely Let's get adore. Tupac there, too. She would adore that, I think. I mean, if he was still here and they could have done like oh a my duo. Gosh, you know that they would both do it. I got a great production company. A, they would, they a would kill dang, it. A banger. All right. All right um, Love it. Next song I've got. Um, there's so many I could choose from. These are all so good. Um, <laughs> this is, this is one you probably, do you know the Bacow Rhythm and Steel Band? I'm going to look it up now. They are like an acoustic. <laughs> I knew them early in my, or in their earlier years, but not now. <laughs> They're an acoustic like brass band, but yeah. they do covers of like, um rap and hip hop oh. songs. What's and the song cool. that what's the song that's Pimp. Okay. Pimp. Got it. I actually would like that. That's acoustic it's... rap is is what I'm into. <laughs> I'm serious. There's a band Colby, don't there's a band don't. down in PCB that plays acoustic rap that is absolutely I tell people they play acoustic nineties rap. I sent you the video. She's not redneck and know what PCB means. I'm so. sorry. Panama City I don't. Beach. <laughs> But I, but I do like. It's very distasteful, redneck. <laughs> I mean, I know what it was. <laughs> All right, three All right, to go. So next, next one. Um, have you heard of Sylvan Esso? I've oh. not. S Y L V A N E S S O, and coffee is the song. Okay. Mm. All right. Coffee. Um, Coming in at number four. Coming in at number four. I'm going to. Okay. I, I gave you this one last time, but I do. I am really all Bring about it. it right now. And it's Cradles by Sub Urban. I do remember okay. that. Okay. I do remember that. 
You didn't know that one either. Mm-mm. And then next one I'll give you is Ancient Astronauts is the band. Colby's and Break My band. Heart in oh, Two is the they, song. They played the Capazigals in the early 90s. Break My Heart in Two. Okay. <laughs> I think that's a good like spread of of songs that what, I like. What we've, so what we've come to is this conclusion that like John came up with this idea of peeling the onion back. But right in the center of the onion is music. I think so. Oh, I love I love music. Yeah. I have a Oh yeah. I it's, also play a little bit of music, so it, it's, it's the universal the, emotional think, touch point. Yep. There's no doubt. Well, and I listen to music while I highline too. So. I mean, we we accomplished so much today. We've got your first book, Your Relationship <laughs> with Fear, Why Micro Adjustments Are Important. Yeah. We've gosh, got your so you, much. we've got like seven TED Talks for you. We got the picture of her at Meow Wolf. We, we, no, we that, now that was know in the casino and Meow Wolf. We're going to do a follow up on what happened in Vegas with that that whole get up that you talked about. That's a different Nothing episode. Nothing too crazy. Let's so just you, you know what? Let's night. just let's just see if we can figure out how this doesn't record and do it again. Let's do that. No, I've actually been recording a voice memo this entire time as well, a backup. <laughs> well, you're, you're, your voices won't be in it, but you can add them later. Uh, well, that's, that's so hurtful. Good. That's you know what? That's but that's hey, understandable. What real quick? What um, earbuds do you have when you're on a Highline and you're listening to music? Uh, typically, just some like this, like oh, normal wow. earbuds that plug in. <laughs> is, um, it, is that a hazard so if you simple. get caught on the line with a, so simple? You they just pull, they just rip out of your ears, so it's okay. not a big deal. Yeah. I also have some Bluetooth ones that like hook around my ears, yeah. and I I use a little piece of cordelette to tie them to whatever shirt I'm wearing. Uh, um, just, you know, a consideration on the eyeline is dropping things, so right. there's lots of like little pieces of string we use to tie everything to uh, ourselves. Faith, keep it, you keep you, it up. You are you are fascinating, and you're super cool, and you are a fashion designer. Even though you didn't go get that in school, rock band. And I'm gonna Ten. hold on to this quote: that "In a world where everyone seems intent on finding themselves, I'm on a journey of undoing myself." She is undoing so herself. Great. You know, we talked about Jack and I listening to that that CD, "Advancing Confidently in the Direction of Your Own Dream," and living a life that only you can imagine. You are certainly doing that, and uh, we appreciate you making time for us and our audience today. Can I make you guys talk a little bit about my business real fast? Please ah, bring it. Thank you for doing bring that for it. me. I'm still I'm still in host school. This Steve, is my second semester. Steve and James Leadership Lab. They do these trips with Wilderness. I don't know if you're familiar with that group. That we're gonna we're gonna make your destination. Please uh, tell us a about stop it. on the way. Yes. Yeah. So sort of the evolution of my career as an athlete. So kind of what became of that rock bottom I hit of being like, oh man, all of my purpose and value is related to these achievements. And, you know, I'm getting older and I'm a human and I can't just keep beating records forevermore. Um, was a, a few years of kind of being a little bit lost and not knowing what I wanted to do. And a couple of years ago, I had a bit of a light bulb moment of like, duh, I live in Moab, which is a total mecca for highlining and climbing and cannoneering and rappelling. And I have all these skills and all this knowledge. And probably what I'm most passionate about is sharing it with people and mm-hmm. helping people learn some of the lessons that took me a decade to learn in a much quicker, succinct way. And so That's it was like, I should, I should start a guiding business. And so, yeah, what you've mentioned several times on the podcast is that I've started Elevate Outdoors. That's the business I'm launching this spring. And I'm really excited because I'm, I've created a system where I can get someone on a high line, even if they have no slackline experience whatsoever. 
And that's a system where there's a rope above them. And so their leash is tied above them, above the line they're walking on. And that prevents them from falling under the line and feeling stranded. Mm. And you have something to hold on to while you walk. Train, so training wheels. Training wheels for highliners. Train, exactly. It is training wheels for highliners. I love it. And it still gives you the possibility to stand 400 feet off the ground in the middle of a canyon on a wobbly line and get all of the visceral experience related Ugh, to the bat. I'm in. John's and so going. We may need part to of what somebody. I want to do is, you know, get people out on the line, especially market to women, get more women outdoors, and hopefully eventually work with disabled people. I think it'd be really cool. Wow. There's a lot you can do with the kind of suspension abilities of high lines. Um, so I just have a lot of, like, big goals with this company, and um, I'm taking it one step at a time, not to be cliche. I love um, that. I love But, it. yeah, if you ever want to come out and try a high line, please look me up. Well, I, I certainly believe in the next six months there'll be a uh, highlining school right out there in Moab. Southwest, go ahead and get a hub right there in yes. Moab because there's <laughs> going to be a lot of people getting on those planes going direct straight into Moab. We appreciate you taking the time. Uh, love your vision. Love your passion. Uh, love your drive. But most importantly, love your humanity. Thank you for that. Thank well, you, Faith. thank you guys for having me. You're awesome. Absolutely. So for Faith Dickey, for John Byers, and for AJ on the board, I'm Colby Jeevenville, and this is the Go Consulting Podcast. Boom. Um.